Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. States have been following Tennessee's lead when it became the first in the nation to offer free state college to its residents. Coming up, we learn more about Connecticut's program to make community colleges debt-free. Lawmakers approved the plan this past legislative session, but it's not a done deal yet. We'll explain. First, Connecticut, like many states, has seen community college enrollment drop. Fewer students and fewer state dollars has led the Board of Regents to adopt a plan to consolidate the system, but it hasn't been met with widespread approval. We'll hear from some faculty and students just ahead. Now, Marco Jakian is back to update us on how the plan is moving forward. He's the president of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. You can join us, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Marco Jakian, welcome back to the show. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so before we talk about the consolidation uh, plan, which, again, is still waiting on approval from the accrediting agency, uh, we really wanted to focus first on uh, this new budget that was approved by the board. Board of Regions, I think a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it's a nearly $1.3 billion budget. Um, we're talking a lot about community colleges today, but it, your system also um, handles the state university system as well. So we're wondering with the $1.3 billion budget, um, what does that mean exactly for the university system first and then for the community colleges? Well, well, thank you for the question. I, I think the board adopted a budget understanding that we're still in very difficult uh, financial um, straits. Um, for the universities, uh, it's going to mean basically um, they won't have to draw down on their reserves to the extent that we originally thought they were going to have to do. Um, we raised tuition, as you know, uh, last year by a marginal amount, um, although How students, much again? Um, last year it was uh, 4% uh, for the universities. Um, and I believe that that is going to um, mean a, an increase for students and their families, but we thought it was um, a responsible increase given the state of the um, uh, fiscal condition that we find ourselves in. So the universities are in a much better place than the community colleges. Um, with the community colleges and the budget um, that was was adopted, um, we still have to cut $12 million um, from the community colleges as a whole. Uh, the board has allowed up to $8 million from reserves to be used to cover the budget gap for next year, um, which will leave us with about, um, uh, I think it's uh, $29 million left in reserves. Um, And we're going to need to use those reserves over the next couple of years until you see the final results of the uh, students versus consolidation finally kick in. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have a plan for long-term sustainability, but in the short term, we're going to have to cut $12 million from the community colleges. Uh, when we think about $12 million, what does that mean? Does it mean personnel? Well, it, it, it mainly means personnel. Um, we're going to have to look at ways that we can share services across the institutions, which is um, a reason we put our regional model in place. 
Um, we're going to have to look at ways that we can scale back on um, some contracts we currently have at the colleges. Um, but we're going to have to look at not filling certain positions. Um, but the direction that we've given to campuses has been that we want to make sure that no student-facing services or no faculty and, and um, instructors are impacted by the budget cuts. So we're going to have to find budget cuts elsewhere. Hmm. When uh, students and faculty, state residents hear about uh, the issues with funding as well as uh, efforts to consolidate, um, also hearing that you're now uh, the system now needs to find $12.5 million in cuts. I mean, why should someone enroll in a state university or community college system? What is in it for them? Well, I think, first of all, if you're talking about the community colleges, it's one of the best educational opportunities for most residents of Connecticut. High quality, low cost educational opportunities. And for example, if you enroll in a community college, transfer to one of the state universities in uh, one of the programs of study where we have seamless transfer, which is now 26, you will save um, $12,000 over the course of that study. So it's a huge, it's a huge um, savings option for students, especially at a time when we're talking about insurmountable student debt. Now, what we are trying to do as we move forward on our Students First initiative is to change the operating model to make our model more welcoming to students um, so that students will have an opportunity to complete their education in a, in a period of time where they don't have to take out um, loans or, um, or face exorbitant debt. You know, right now our completion rates for first-time, full-time students are 16%. How is that in any universe a good result? So why is that? Uh, if you're talking about a good uh, quality education, also cost savings, why aren't students completing? Students aren't completing for a number of reasons. We don't have enough resources currently Um, devoted on our campuses to coaching, to advising, to mentoring, um, so that students um, are are given the tools they need um, to be able to succeed. So students either stay a long period of time to complete an associate's degree, or they drop out. Um, And this this, um, disproportionately affects students of color. So part of our effort is to change the model, to provide more resources on the campus to advisors and coaches, um, uh, student financial aid personnel, student success center personnel. We want to be able to keep the libraries open more often. Um, But the education that they receive um, is first rate. And uh, I'm a big believer um, that it's one of the hidden gems in the state of Connecticut. You're going to see us doing a lot more marketing um, on the community colleges from here you know, through the next couple of years. Um, And I think um, students will find that uh, the quality and the cost are things that will drive them to the community colleges. We're very fortunate to have our community colleges in Connecticut. Mm. You're talking a lot about the uh, positives um, and the advantages of being a student, but when you say there's a 16% completion rate, you know, how does Connecticut compare to other uh, New England community college systems in terms of completion? Well, c- community college um, uh, systems throughout New England are having challenges in terms of completion. 
Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Part of it I just talked about. But the other is that many of our students who go um, to community colleges have other challenges they need to overcome to stay in school. They have children. They work. They need transportation. Many of them need food. Um, and so we need to provide a holistic approach to our educational component, in, in, including wraparound services for our students. We're doing a better job, but we're not where we need to be. So one of the one of the initiatives we're we're working on, whether it's guided pathways or achieving the dream or these national models that we're working on, are intended to improve our completion rates and provide more support to the student when they're in school, so they understand how to go from A to B and what they need to do to complete. Uh, you're hearing Marco Jakian, president of the Connecticut State Colleges and University System here on Where We Live. You can join us, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, you mentioned achieving the dream. Uh, this is something that I believe all Connecticut community colleges are now part of. What is that exactly? Well, achieving the dream is a national model of providing um, uh, advising and wraparound service design activities to each of the each of the uh, colleges. That's a coaching-based model, um, best practices around the country to be able to help each institution better um, navigate, better assist students in navigating through their educational opportunities. Um, we are, at the system are paying for each of our colleges um, to uh, be part of this effort. Um, we just had a, a, a system-wide meeting recently with all of the colleges and all of the coaches, and there's so much excitement around this activity. Um, and, and I think once we um, get a little further down the road, you're going to see the fruits of the labor uh, pay off in terms of our completion mm -hmm. rates. Oh, when you talk about this initiative, what is the cost to the state of Connecticut to be part of this? Well, the, the cost in total is about $750,000 for all 12 community colleges um, to participate in this. Um, we are tr doing our best to control our costs, but at the same time, if we're going to engage in these efforts to improve student success and make sure that our students have the tools they need to succeed in life, we're going to have to spend money to do that. Um, as you know, nothing is free. <laughs> um, and so we have provided um, an opportunity for all of our colleges to participate. Um, it's a cost of about $65,000 per campus, um, and campuses are very excited about uh, this effort. You can join us, 860-275-7266. Are you a student uh, at one of Connecticut's 12 community colleges or state universities? Uh, what do you think about uh, the leadership of Marco Jakian as president of this higher ed system as it looks to consolidate to try to save money but also provide a quality education? We want to hear from you. Again, 860-275-7266. Uh, Eddie's calling from, Eddie or Edie's calling from Norwich. Go ahead. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my name is Edie Ouellette. I'm the Division Director of Nursing and Allied Health at Three Rivers Community College. Um, I'd like um, to ask uh, Mark to speak to um, his comment that he just made about the $12 million that needs to be saved at community colleges and him saying that it would not impact student services and instruction because I'm going to read 10 items that we just implemented yesterday. Um, the director of admissions is being, uh, the position is being suspended for a search. 
we are not going to hire an assistant director of career services. The existing part-time services um, in student services are being eliminated. No contracts are being renewed. I am not able to hire um, a nursing lab coordinator. Um, all positions in uh, eliminated positions in the Welcome Center. Uh, we have our director of IT position that's not being replaced, to management, and so on and so on. So I'd like him to speak to that, and I'd also like him to speak to the fact that if we cut half of the money that is being spent on the community college um, management at the CSCU office, we wouldn't have to save any money at the community mm -hmm. colleges. And one more thing, while I have Mark here, I've tried to reach out to him several times, and he's never gotten back to me, so I'm glad I have him on the air. Well, Edie, quickly so we can have uh, Marco Jakian answer your question. There, there are other ways to save money, and you never, ever asked. Never. Thank you, Edie, for your call. Let's start first with uh, um, the positions that she mentioned that are being cut um, and questions about how services to students will not be impacted when you have uh, personnel uh, decisions being made. Well, first of all, it's, um, this is the first that I'm, I'm hearing of the proposed cuts at Three Rivers. Um, there's a process in place where by August 1st, institutions are su supposed to submit, submit plans to us to take a look at. And part of our approach um, has been uh, since, since July 1st, working with our regional presidents to come up with ways to find synergies in a region and share services as other institutions have already done and saved a million dollars in two specific circumstances. So I will take a look um, at what has been proposed by uh, Three Rivers when I get back uh, to my office. Um, <clears throat> secondly, I'd, I'd just like to address um, the issue of, you know, the system office. Um, this seems to be uh, where people go to to say, if you just cut the system office, we wouldn't have to do anything else. Um, I'd like to, I'd just like to point out that, first of all, the increase in the budget for the system office um, this year is predominantly made up of salary increases that are due to unionized employees as a result of the CBAC agreement uh, with, the, with the former governor. Five and a half percent increase to 95 percent people, 95 percent of the personnel in our system. So the cost um, automatically um, has gone up. I'd also like to <clears throat> point out that 60 percent of the system office budget is spent on direct services to the community colleges. Such as what? Information technology. Human resources, we do all the collective bargaining, all of the grievances, all of the litigation results resulting in collective bargaining. We do all of the accounting. We do all the accounts, uh, accounts payable. We hold all of the licenses and the, and the software licenses for community college um, information technology systems. And we hold a lot of other contracts for the community colleges where if we didn't hold them, we would have each individual institution having their own contracts, which would cost more money. If we were to take all of the integrated services that we provide now and send them to back to the community colleges, it would cost much more money and there would not be a consistent approach across the system. Uh, during your time as president of the Connecticut State uh, Universities and Colleges, uh, you know, how much has the administrative office shrunk? If I'm just curious in terms of, of personnel, if you're going to be asking for personnel cuts within the community colleges, um, you know, how many people work 
in that office that well, that we have we have cut as part of as part of the approach for the next uh, fiscal year. We also have to come up with cuts as well. I don't have the specific numbers, uh, you know, with me with me here, um, but we have we have um, the number of people when I first uh, took over, we shrunk the office. The office has increased a little bit because what we've been doing is as we prepare for the one college, um, I think as our creditors told us um, a year ago, we need to look and behave like one college. So as we now have a vice president of enrollment management who is helping with a consistent enrollment approach across all 12 institutions, that position will go to the one college. The three regional presidents will go to the one college. So we have to structure ourselves at the community colleges in a way that our accreditors can approve us. So we have to look and act like one college before we move forward. But we have to cut from our own office. But I also will just you know, caution that we have very few people in the system office that don't provide direct services to either the universities or the colleges. Um, before we head to break, you know, Edie did um, start her uh, question uh, listing proposed cuts at Three Rivers Community College. You said that you weren't aware of them yet. Uh, but when you hear that there are um, services that sound very much as uh, student-facing services, so what is the, the process then? Is this something that you would not want to see? Would you suggest back to Three Rivers to maybe think of other ways to cut? Well, first of all, I would suggest I would suggest that we can continue to have the conversations um, as a region. Um, other regions are doing it, and I know that the region that Three Rivers is in um, is also have a, has a process by which they can come together, all the campus leaders, and come up with proposals so that they don't have to maybe make some of these cuts. Um, I don't know what the impact of these cuts are as I sit here today because I don't have all of the information, but I will get the information and I will weigh in. I'm Marco Jakey and as president of the Connecticut State Colleges and University System, I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. You're listening to Where We Live. We're going to continue our discussion. Take more of your phone calls at 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're going to dig more into this plan to consolidate uh, Connecticut's 12 community colleges into one single ent- entity by 2023. What's your take? You can join us. 860-275-7266. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Today we're talking about Connecticut's higher education system, specifically its four state universities and 12 community colleges, as well as Charter Oak College. You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. In studio with me, Marco Jakey, president of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. Uh, Mark's been on the show uh, a few times now talking about uh, the student's first plan, again, to consolidate uh, the 12 community colleges into one single single entity as a way to uh, save money. Um, this is something that the crediting agency still has to uh, give approval to. But we're going to talk more about um, some of the reasons behind that consolidation in, in just a little bit. I wanted to take a call now. Uh, let's go to Elena from Willimantic. Elena, tell us um, where your student and uh, what's your take on this consolidation plan and um, some of the proposed changes within the community colleges system. Yeah, um, I'm a student here at Eastern Connecticut State University. Uh, personally, I think that the community college um, unification is a good idea. Um, you can't keep 
12 distinct community colleges alive and have them be so close to each other and not cooperate. Um, those students, the traditional students, um, normal students who get out of high school, want to go to community college and then transfer, they need, they need the resources and they need, they need to have those options open to them to say, hey, I want to major, I want to be a nursing major, I could go to um, Three Rivers College, uh, but it's it's not really close to me. Um, I need I should take uh, classes at another community college that uh, is closer to me, and I could transfer my credits. Which which is the goal of the community college consolidation is to provide guided pathways um, for different majors, and so that they're easily transferable from community mm -hmm. college to community college, from community college to university. So, Elena, um, there are some, yeah. um, there are some uh, parts of the proposal that you think are a good thing, uh, but as a vice chair of the Student Advisory Committee to the Board of Regents, also a student at Eastern, you know, are there any concerns that you have about um, some of the proposed changes, and what are they? Personally, I don't have any concerns. Um, my only concern is uh, coming from out of state, from Georgia, and having 12 community college in such a small state is is kind of is, is a bit too much. Um, I do know that not all of the community colleges are at their full capacity, and what's the best way to you know keep them running, keep them alive? There's no way that you can shut down a community college. It's it's an extension of the community of of who of who they are. You can't do that. So, um, you know, making them one is, is the best idea, is the best idea to, to, to cut the budget to, um, across, across the board, create path guided pathways. Um, I know they're also um, including um, technology and, and all of this. Um, the community colleges are really going to use technology to aid them in, you know, providing student services and, um, revamping their um, their facilities um, and things like that. Well, thank you, Elena, again, uh, for your call. Um, so I'll go back to Marco Jakey and uh, Students First again. Uh, this uh, plan uh, to make a stronger system uh, by changing up the I guess the leadership structure as well as how it operates. Elena uh, brought up a point that not all of the 12 community colleges are operating at full capacity, uh, but then she said that you can't close a community college because it's an extension of the community. If you weren't able to get approval from the accrediting agency to make uh, these 12 community colleges into one single community college system, would that be then a proposal that would be on the table, that you'd have to close some of these colleges? Well, I've, I've made a commitment that I'm not looking to close community colleges. And by um, engaging in this initiative, um, you will see that financially, if we go forward with students first, um, by 2022, you'll start to see our financial situation be in a surplus position and our reserves starting to be built up again. And if you don't, then within another year or two years, we're going we're gonna to plow through our reserves and then we're going to be at the risk of being insolvent. You know, our accreditors have already pointed that out that 10 of our 12 community colleges are financially at risk financially at risk. You said 10 of the 12? 10 of the 12. And so, and, and nine of the 12 are at risk of not having enough student services to be successful. They're very concerned about the completion rates we talked about earlier. So if you don't engage in this effort, 
I may not propose closing a community college, but our accreditors will take a look and say, you don't have reserves. You don't, you're not in a financial position to stay open. As you know, across the country, institutions are closing and leaving students at risk. This proposal keeps access in place. All of the campuses, all of the satellite campuses stay open so that students who already have a difficult time going to their, what I'll call their home institution, don't have to travel somewhere else because if they have to do that, they don't have the transportation to do it, they will not go, and they'll be left behind. Uh, for, for a different perspective on the Student First Plan, uh, joining us now is uh, Lois Amy, who's Director of Educational Technology at Norwalk Community College, also President of the Norwalk Community College Senate. Lois, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So tell us, what are your uh, main concerns with this consolidation plan? Well, I, my concerns are the fact that uh, consolidating us into, into a single college takes away the community in the in the community in the community college. We can no longer serve our our communities as we need to. Um, we are located in an area of Connecticut that is much different from Connecticut. May be a small area, but it's a very diverse state. And what our needs down here and our students' needs and our community needs are much different from anywhere else. The people who have been running our master plan, quote-unquote master plan, have made statements about colleges that are closer to New York City, have to focus more on uh, ESL programs and math programs and English programs, and so we need to have the ability to tailor our programs to our students' needs. But I would like to, I'm, I'm a little confused about this um, funding issue on a couple of points. I uh, One... Let's go to achieve the dream for the moment um, where um, Mr. Ojekian said it was $65,000 per college. It's actually uh, at least $78,000 per college, and it's a three-year minimum commitment. So that's $234,000 per college. There are eight new, four four of the community colleges, including Norwalk, were already members of Achieve the Dream. That would mean eight new community colleges. That's over $1.8 million, and that doesn't include all of these um, uh, conferences and this last kickoff meeting they had in Phoenix uh, where Norwalk was required to go, even though we had already been members of Achieve the Dream, and we were doing a lot of these things, but we were required to go to this kickoff thing and send people and pay money for it. So this is a huge drain on the community colleges. So it sounds like you're saying that there are lots of other places that the system could cut instead of looking at uh, consolidating services and changing how um, these campuses are structured, Lois? Well, I'm, we're looking at, we just hired three regional presidents at, uh, at $220,000 a year plus fringe benefits. That's over a million dollars a year uh, for these regional presidents. To do what? This, this has not been approved yet. We're still independently accredited colleges. And as far as the cuts at Three Rivers go, I mean, they've been asked to cut over $900,000. And um, so it, it kind of, it's unfathomable to me that, um, that President Jehu would not be aware of the impact of these cuts, that we, that he wouldn't know 
how he has starved the colleges, and and where exactly does yeah. he think the money is going to come from? So I'm going to have uh, Marco Jakin. I'm going to have uh, Marco Jakin respond to you, uh, Lois, uh, here on where we live. Let's start first with uh, what she brought up, which is uh, the new leadership structure. So explain why under Students First there need to be three regional presidents, and then you have some capacity of chief executive officer. But with some of the hiring uh, that have been, has, been, has been done, I think some positions starting up July 1, some of these campuses are going to have these uh, you know, new CEOs also with the acting president still on campus. Why so much overhead? Well, where we have CEOs now, the acting president will – we only have CEOs where there is vacancies um, and existing presidents have, have chose to uh, retire. What I, would, what I would say is we – configured the new organization in a regional model to take better effect of a regional approach to providing services to be responsive to workforce. We've seen where we've had one president over two institutions. In one year, they've saved over a million dollars in sharing certain services. We're not telling institutions how to do that, but by having a regional approach, we are encouraging campuses to work together. Now, some campuses are doing things better than other campuses. Um, and I'm not going to go through each campus and say, you know, check mark here, check mark there. What I'm going to say is that there's 12 campuses and four satellites that I'm very interested in seeing remain open so that communities still have colleges to send their students to. Um, and that if we look at our financial picture, and you can't ignore the money in the long term. When this is fully implemented, we will save between 21 and $23 million a year based on not only our projections, but independent verification by the nonpartisan Office of Fiscal mm-hmm. Analysis. Now, in the short term, we're going to have to make some, some sacrifices <clears throat> Excuse me, in how we get there. Uh, but in the longer term, it's going to pay off. You mentioned the savings, $23 million by 2023. But that's also based on a lot of assumptions that um, enrollment may improve or that what happens if state funding uh, decreases? No, that's, that's based on level state funding. and, um, and Which no, is not a given. Level state funding is not a given. It's not a given. And, and, and no enrollment increase. So we're not looking at new revenue. So those projections do not take into account the efforts we're engaging in, Mm -hmm. in terms of retention and in terms of new enrollment initiatives, which are going to bring more revenue into the system. So in case I misspoke earlier, so there's three regional presidents that will be starting July 1? They started July 1, correct. And then uh, some of the campuses have uh, still presidents at the campus, like president of Asnantuck or president of Gateway Community College. Right now, I believe we have three um, campuses where there are presidents um, who are still um, leading the campus, and all of the other institutions are led by chief executive officers. So the chief executive officers make less than a president. And so I guess the question being, if there are regional presidents and some CEOs with the hope that you may hire other CEOs, why why do we still need the presidents uh, on these campuses? Because you think about all the money that's being uh, paid out. Because this is a transition period. And so, you know, change is hard. And during a transition, we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to have um, some of the existing uh, structure in place. But as 
um, individuals leave positions, we are uh, refilling those positions under the new model. Um, we, we are very focused on the student success aspect of this initiative as well as the financial aspect of this uh, initiative. And there is nothing in the initiative that removes the community from the community college. Uh, the foundation remains attached to the institution, separately run, separately designed in terms of what the dollars are going to be spent for. The programs are still going to be developed at the local level. Uh, we have groups. We have 400 people from the community colleges working across the system um, to look at our academic programming to say, and this is faculty, what makes sense in terms of aligning programs so that if, an, if a student wants to go from campus A to campus B, they can do so seamlessly. Right now, that's not the case um, within, our, within our community colleges. So um, I'm, I'm moving this forward because I firmly believe that if we don't, as somebody who's responsible for the 55,000 students in the community college system, I'm not going to stand and point and say, you're doing great, you're going to stay open, you're not doing so good, close. Uh, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, Louise is calling from New Britain. Uh, Louise, I understand that you are a professor at Central Connecticut State University. Uh, a lot of faculty um, have signed on or um, have given Marco Jakian a no-confidence uh, vote. Uh, what's your take on this plan and some of the justifications for moving this model forward, as Marco Jakian has explained? Well, um, I'm calling um, as vice president of the Connecticut State University American Association of the University Professors, uh, which means I represent the approximately 3,000 faculty of the four state universities. Um, and from my position on the ground, I have yet to meet one faculty member who thinks students first is a good idea, in spite of anything Mr. Ojakin says about the 400 people participating. Um, so from our perspective, a lot of faculty are afraid to speak up. Some think that they can try to work within um, the system to try to change the plan, but I don't know a single teacher who likes it. Um, and this is among the university faculty who are in complete support of their community college colleagues. Um, and I think that the recent no-confidence vote, the petitions sort of speak to the fact that the faculty really don't think it's a good idea. So, Louise, um, can, I so ask, I a, well, can I ask just quickly, yeah. if it's not a good idea, what are the alternatives? Um, faculty members have come up with other plans that um, are actually regional plans. Um, they've come up with many ideas about how to save money. They've done extensive research, um, written extensive op-ed pieces with detailed research about how um, more money is being spent than is necessary and how money could be saved. Um, so um, I'm just a little concerned, and I, my question for Marco Jakin is, why does he ignore the faculty assessment of this plan? Um, and isn't this sort of dangerous at a period when, like, K-12 teachers are striking throughout the country for many of the same reasons? Well, thank, um, thank you, Louisa. Mark? Well, I, I'd like to respond to, to, to a couple of points. Um, first of all, I needed to make it clear once again that this initiative does not affect the universities at all. And so while I respect everybody's um, right to have an opinion, um, you know, we um, are working very closely with our community college um, colleagues to make sure that this 
um, is a successful um, initiative. The second thing that I will say is there are people on the ground who are in full support of this initiative. And so um, I would encourage people to maybe get out more to campuses and, and talk to the full a breadth of the of the campus community. I understand that there's people that are not in favor of this. I, I fully appreciate that and everybody has a right to their um, opinion. And so this is a disagreement over the best uh, path forward. What I will say is we rolled this out two year, over two years ago. And to this point in time, we have not received another plan, fully comprehensive, financially analyzed plan to get us the $23 million in savings once this is fully you know, implemented. There's been ideas floated around. People have asked us for more time to come up with a plan, and we have still not received any comprehensive plan. So I, I appreciate op-eds. I appreciate people offering suggestions about more solar panels and things that we're already doing. I do appreciate all of those ideas. And I do meet with a lot of faculty um, who come to my office and we have very respectful conversations about the path forward. So um, this isn't, you know, popularity contest. I didn't take this position, you know, to, uh, to be homecoming king. Um, and so what I want to be able to do is to look the students in the face every commencement I go to at the community colleges and say, we did our best to make sure that you had an opportunity to achieve your dream. Uh, Louise, I'll let you respond to Mark quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on the ground. I've talked to a lot of different people from the universities and the community colleges, and they object to um, things like the centralization, bureaucratic control of curriculum, taking faculty out of the process of, of determining curriculum, outsourcing decisions to non-academic paid consultants. And there's just a sense that the faculty expertise is not respected. Um, I think it's a, a dangerous thing to do at, at this time. Well, Louise, well, thank you uh, for your call. Um, Mark, you mentioned that it's not a popularity contest. You're in an appointed position. I believe your contract's up in 2020. Um, again, this this plan has not received any approval yet from the accrediting agency, has well, it? We, first of all, we have not applied for anything to our accreditors. Um, our plan is to be a fully integrated institution by 2023. Um, we just went and gave a progress report um, to our accreditors um, in April. Um, I fully anticipate being invited back next year. Um, I'm sure this is a process, so we're going to have to modify as we go along. Um, but um, what, I, what I really think is important to understand is the conversation we need to have needs to center around facts. We're not outsourcing faculty decision-making um, uh, efforts to consultants. Um, we're not arbitrarily making decisions on curriculum. Uh, the faculty from the campuses are meeting to, similar to when they did the Transfer and Articulation Pathway Program, which was not a favorite of some folks who have called in. Um, we, are, we are making every effort to be as inclusive and participatory and transparent as possible. Um, but if somebody wants to give me another plan that saves $23 million in the next three years, I've been open to receiving that as well as has the Board of Regents. So you said you haven't applied uh, yet to the accrediting agency, but you will need approval Correct. Come before this happens in 2023. Correct. 
Correct. We just we we the process is still ongoing, um, and we're working very closely with the commission and the commission staff to uh, determine the best path forward. Um, is it another substantive change um, request, or do we apply as a new institution? I mean, these decisions are being uh, considered now by the accreditors and by us. Um, but we have a plan in place to get us to a fully integrated institution by 2023, um, with our tar- with our target being increasing student success at the community colleges and also establishing a more stable financial model into the future. I want to get another perspective uh, from the community colleges before we head to break. Del Cummings is on the line, science professor at Naugatuck Valley Community College, also chair of the faculty advisory committee to the Board of Regents. Adele, as you hear uh, Mark talk about, again, um, the reasons behind Students First um, and also answering some of the criticisms of the plan, I mean, what's your take as someone on the ground uh, working with students and also uh, providing some recommendations to the Board of Regents? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I think the, the uh, efforts to improve completion rates, which are certainly a focus of Students First, are, are, is money well spent. Obviously, any additional funds spent anywhere is, is going to get a lot of attention. However, if we can double the completion rate from 16% to 32%, the, the benefits to the state uh, per dollar would be enormous. So I, I support that. In terms of the uh, faculty's stance, it's mixed. Uh, there's campuses, and I'm talking about the community colleges now, where the feeling is that everything is fine, and so there's a, an opposition to change. There are other campuses that have problems, and those faculty oftentimes support the changes. And I should mention that you know the, the plan will impact local administration far more than the faculty. And so, uh, you know, if the if the faculty at a campus whose administration is not supportive of the change comes out and supports students first, that's risky for their career. The local administration controls their uh, promotion or even if they get to keep their job. So sometimes the the statistics on faculty's stance on this get distorted a bit. And that again, I don't want to minimize uh, the situations where campuses are doing well and and people are concerned about things getting screwed up. Well, Del Cummings, I want to thank you for giving us your perspective. Uh, the hour is running away from us, but again, uh, with me today is Marco Jakian, who's president of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. As we look again at plans to change how, how higher education operates, including consolidating 12 community colleges into one single entity, we're going to continue our discussion after a short break. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel here on Where We Live with Marco Jakian, president of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. I want to take a quick call. Lauren D. from New Haven. Uh, Lauren, uh, what's your take? Uh, Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm someone who took a very long time to oppose consolidation, um, but I think that in Connecticut we seem to be the state that has faulty foundations, and uh, there are faulty foundations with this process, and that has mainly to do with not first starting with governance and uh, empowering faculty. I'm one of those 400 faculty who are working on multiple committees, and I don't think that the 
sort of reports of that work in any way relay the opposition that exists. And it's not um, a few people. It, it's fairly widely held opposition, but m- much of the opposition, at least in my case, has to do with the process. Uh, I was the, um, the uh, co-chair of that transfer and articulation uh, program that Mr. Ojekian referenced from 2012 to 2017, um, work that I'm really proud of and a program that I'm really proud of. But to use that as a model for new governance to say that these, all of these programs are going to somehow be developed, that um, prerequisites are going to be aligned, that courses are going to be aligned, using a model that is very limited to a very specific um, program is part of the false foundation. Well, thank you. There is not... Thank you, Lauren, uh, from your uh, perspective from New Haven. Uh, Marco Jakian, again, uh, lots of critiques from people who are working on these campuses who are worried about um, some of these changes at hand. I mean, uh, what can you say as this plan This is still moving forward? It's still moving forward. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to work with, with everybody. I appreciate um, Lauren's commitment to working, um, you know, on multiple committees. It's not easy to... Uh, be a faculty member or a staff person and then give your time to do these kinds of things. But it's but it's really important work because if we're going to make sure that all of our community colleges continue to improve student success and we're going to make sure that we're on a much more financially stable ground into the future, we're going to have to change. And um, I know change is very difficult. Um, and I know some people are disappointed in what they see as a flawed uh, process, um, but we are doing um, everything we can to make sure that this is inclusive, participatory, and as transparent as possible, and not only is responsible to the students, but remember, we get tax dollars from the state. So we have to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars as well. Uh, Mark, you talked about change being difficult. Um, you know, the Board of Regents was a system that uh, former Governor Dana Malloy put in place. There's a lot of critiques that is the Board of Regents the right way to be running the higher ed system in our state? I continue to believe it absolutely is. Um, I continue to believe that putting the community colleges and the state universities in Charter Oak under one umbrella governance structure um, is the best a governance model for these institutions. Um, so I continue to stand by what we did in 2011. Uh, before we have to end the show, we did want to talk about what the uh, Connecticut General Assembly passed, this idea of debt-free college allowing students to attend Connecticut community colleges for free. You've been fairly quiet about this proposal. Is this a good idea? Well, I think, I think in concept, um, and as a matter of public policy, it is. Um, I testified in front of the legislature that as a matter of public policy, I think all public education uh, should be free. Um, I was concerned about uh, diverting resources from uh, campus advisors, that we needed more resources on our campuses to make sure our students completed, those students that were currently in the pipeline. Um, And so um, I have been a little bit um, quiet, uh, but we worked with the leadership of the committee to make sure that the legislation that passed was a piece of legislation that could work. Um, As you know, it relies on a revenue stream from a still undeveloped um, lottery source, the Mm -hmm. I-Lottery. But in the budget, the legislature uh, did put a provision in that if that 
iLottery just not get up and running, that the governor has to make some midterm adjustments to his budget to give us the revenue that it will take. It's projected $6 million uh, for academic year 20 and $10 million for academic year 21. So we we intend to um, move this forward in a very aggressive way. You'll see a lot of marketing around it beginning in the fall. Um, it's it's the law, mm-hmm. and we will make sure that this, it's successful um, as it can be. So this would be up and running in 2020 if this law, this new lottery, of course, uh, uh, the state law, thinking about a, it's a form of gambling to help pay for uh, uh, this particular debt-free proposal. Um, again, uh, Marco Jakins here, president of the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System. Um, when we think about a debt-free college, uh, this would be one of those last-dollar programs, so the students that are applying for Pell Grants and whatnot, uh, the state would pick up the rest. That is correct. And um, what I tried to point out to the legislature during the um, session was that uh, 60% of our students already go for free and 70% go for 75% free. And if we're going to be talking about equity at any point from now into the future, um, I would have preferred to have put more resources into those students that are already receiving full Pell. Because full Pell doesn't mean you have childcare, you can buy books, you can you don't have to work two or three jobs just to go to school. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer to see dollars spent on mm-hmm. that population. Uh, meanwhile, uh, how's enrollment looking for the fall, Mark? Well, we won't know in the community colleges until much later. We, we uh, Students tend not to enroll until later, but we have a marketing campaign that's starting today for Uh, for the fall, and uh, I'll come back and tell you. Well, we look forward to having you back. We know our listeners like to um, speak with you as well. Marco Jakian, president of the Connecticut State Colleges and University System here on Where We Live. Thanks again for coming in. Always happy to be here. Today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Uh, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.